Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Good morning, church family. So two questions, one's rhetorical, and then one kind of demands an answer, but one, how great is our God? Uh, What a great... What a great song for us to transition into Daniel chapter 4. The other one is, what lengths will God go to when we think that we're greater than Him? What what lengths will He go to to get our attention, to make us aware of the fact that we're not greater than Him? We're going to actually learn some lessons from this king that we've been taking a look at from Daniel chapters 1, 2, and 3, and now into chapter 4, King Nebuchadnezzar, who about 25 centuries ago learned some lessons that are going to be just as relevant 2,600 years later as they were back in the time of good old King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, As we dive into the message at hand, I just want to share with you a little clip, and some of y'all may know this name, maybe not, but there was a British playwright by the name of George Bernard Shaw who's written a lot of stuff, and in one of his plays, there's a clip that says this, There are two tragedies in life. One is to lose your heart's desire. The other is to gain it. We don't look at it that way. In our eyes, gaining your heart's desire is the very purpose of life itself. But how many people have achieved their dreams only to be ruined in the process? Success can be just as big a temptation as failure, perhaps more so since success tends to make us take life for granted. While it's true that God speaks to us both ways, we tend to listen more when God speaks through sorrow, pain, loss, and personal failure. Success tends to make us complacent, but failure cannot be denied. And that's what we're going to see with King Nebuchadnezzar. He's this guy who just seems to go through these ebbs and flows. Like one minute it looks like maybe he's going to worship the true God of the universe. Next thing you know, he's erecting this statue in the middle of the plains of Dura in Babylon. That are It's 90 feet high. It's 9 feet wide. It's all directed at him. He makes it of all gold because if you'll remember in Daniel chapter 2, he had this vision of a statue and the head was gold and then there was silver and then there was bronze and then there was iron and clay. And Neb says, no nobody's going to have any part in this kingdom. It's all mine. I'm going to build it of all gold. And then in Daniel chapter 4, he has another dream. And as we begin to look at the dream in Daniel chapter 4, just know that when we read it, it's like reading the king's personal diary. Now, I want you to imagine one of the most embarrassing events in your life takes place. You get caught in some kind of sin. The punishment is quite embarrassing. And now everybody gets to read it. It would be the equivalent of doing something stupid, getting caught, getting punished for it, and then it's blasted all over social media, like Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, whatever. It's posted on YouTube. It's everywhere. Just imagine that's the case. Well, that's what's going to happen with King Nebuchadnezzar. He thinks that he is the God of the universe. He thinks that he reigns and rules. God is going to send some warnings to get his attention, to make him aware of the fact that he is not God or that God is God and he is not. And Neb doesn't get the message. And next week, you'll find out what the repercussion is for not getting the message or not heeding the message. This week, we're going to simply take a look at what the message is. Now, I say simply, it's long, 
It's 27 verses, which means get your feet ready. Could you stand with me as we honor the king and we read from his word? Daniel chapter 4, verses 1 through 27. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders of the most high God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in and told, I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last Daniel came in before me, he who was named Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong and its top reached to heaven and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heaven lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him and let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation, because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you, and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong, so that its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in which was food for all, under which beasts of the field found shade and whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven, And let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my lord the king. 
that you shall be driven from among men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree. Your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king... Let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. Thanks, King. Well, there's a lot there. And we are going to unpack all of that in 23 minutes. So here we go. One thing, again, gang, that I'm praying we walk away with, that we would recognizes that God as a righteous judge will always punish our sin. But here's where the but comes in. And I love seeing the buts throughout Scripture. That sounds weird in church. The buts throughout Scripture. The we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But God, being rich in mercy, provided a way for us to be in heaven with him, despite the fact that we were dead in our transgressions and sins. He made us alive with him in Christ Jesus. Aren't you glad that there's a but there? What if it just ended with, you were dead in your trespasses and sins? That's a bleak ending, but God being rich in mercy made us alive because of what Christ did on our behalf. I love how in the book of Romans, Paul starts off Romans chapters 1, 2, and 3 with a bleak and a, a glib picture of what mankind looks like in their sin, how much of a mess we are. Then we get to chapter 4, but God provides the way of salvation. And you get two of the most beautiful chapters in all of Scripture when it comes to our salvation, chapters 4 and 5 of the book of Romans. Well, here in Daniel, we are going to see that God as a righteous judge will always punish our sin, but God as our merciful Father will always provide the way of redemption even when we're in our sin. You see this dream in Daniel chapter 4, it starts with Nebuchadnezzar living at the height of prosperity. In fact, verse 4 says that he was at ease in his house, which was a palace. The city of Babylon had no comparison. I did a little bit of some more geeky studies this week, and I studied through a historian by the name of Herodotus, and Herodotus gives us some really good info on what Babylon was like. What would the city have looked like? What would Nebuchadnezzar's palace ha have looked like? Well, I was blown away when I got the description of the walls of the palace and his empire. They were 56 miles long on each side. The walls were 80 feet thick. Did you all ever see the movie Ben-Hur? When they race those chariots, they're actually racing them on the walls that are like, they're eight stories wide. And then they are 320 feet or 32 stories high. The Euphrates River flows right through the middle of the city. They actually had to build a bridge that would have been about a half mile long in order to get across it. And then right there in the middle of Nebuchadnezzar's palace housed this golden image to this false god or this fake god by the name of Baal. It would have weighed about 50,000 pounds. And then it had one of the largest temples that were ever built in all of the world, dedicated to the Babylonian god called Marduk, uh, right there in Babylon. And then on top of all of that, Neb married this woman by the name of Amethyst. She didn't like the flat plains of Dura and Babylon, so he builds her these mounds, almost 
her own types of hills and mountains. And in it, he creates one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. Any of y'all ever heard of the Hanging Gardens? That was done at the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. So if you could just picture how massive this palace is, how massive this city is, do you begin to wonder why Neb got a little bit of a big head? And he thought, I'm completely secure. I don't need God. I don't need anybody. And as soon as Neb puts himself in place of God, he puts himself in a little bit of trouble. And God says, I'm going to have to show you that I'm God and you're not. So the king sees this massive tree. He sees all of its leaves and its branches. He sees how it is giving shade to people. It's giving food to animals and people. But then the second thing that he sees is the tree gets cut down. It gets stripped down. Interesting thing about it, though, is that God doesn't rip it out by the stump. He leaves the stump behind. Nebuchadnezzar is going to learn quite a valuable lesson from this, that while God might have to chop down the tree, he might have to shake things up a bit. As long as we're still here and we're still breathing, there's still hope. I want to say that to some of y'all to encourage you. Some of y'all may have prodigals. It might be a spouse. It might be a kid. It might be a grandkid. You might be the one that's run away from God. Just know that as long as you're still breathing, the stump's still in the ground. So you still have an opportunity to respond. So there are going to be what I'm going to call four life lessons from the book of Daniel that we're going to learn in the next two weeks. We're going to do the first two this week, and then we'll do the last two next week. And then we're also going to learn four timeless principles from the book of Daniel. We'll do two of those this week, and we'll do the last two next week. I'm not going to read all of this again just because of the length of the passage, but in Daniel chapter 4, verses 1 through 18, the first thing that we see, and I pray that this is an encouragement to you, it's a huge encouragement to me, especially after I first came to Christ when I was trying to run away from God. First thing that we learn in the first 18 verses of Daniel 4 is that God actively pursues us, even while we're living in pride and sin. Nebuchadnezzar was living in absolute pride and sin. Think back again to the last two weeks that we just had in the book of Daniel chapter 3. Remember, he builds the statue of all gold. And most likely, we don't know for sure, but most likely that statue was built uh, as representative of him and people worshiping him. So what exactly was God trying to communicate through this dream? This tree that he sees going up to the heavens, its branches spreading out across the land, and then being chopped down. What was God trying to teach him? We see that in the last half of this passage in Daniel 4. 19 through 27. Daniel knew exactly what the dream meant. And in case you didn't notice, I think he was a little nervous about telling the king what it meant. Because remember what he said at first? <laughs> I'm going to tell you what it means, but let this be for your enemies. So I think he was a little bit shaky about telling the king what the dream was actually about. But he did. Verse 22, you, O king, are that tree. The moment Daniel uttered those words, the king could have gotten ticked off and just had him executed in numerous different ways. If you can think of it, Nebuchadnezzar's probably done it when it comes to execution. Then he goes on to say that God had ordained that the king become like a beast of the field in verse 25. Because of your pride, because of your sin, God's going to make you like a beast of the field. I'm going to get into this way more next week because you're going to see Nebuchadnezzar actually act like an animal. He's actually going to have a diagnosed uh, real condition called boanthropy where he lives like an animal. 
It's a real condition that people have actually experienced, which, by the way, I see it today. People live like animals. If you're wondering, what in the world do you mean by that, Pastor? What do you mean people live like animals? We live based off sexual instinct. Listen, we know this to be true. Men will give up. Listen to this. They will give up legacies. They will give up families for seven seconds of pleasure. That is not thinking ahead. That's living like an animal. That's living based off your instincts. If you take a look at what guys like Joseph Stalin, Adolf Hitler, Pol Pot, uh, some of the evil dictators of the world like Osama bin Laden have done to people, that's like an animal that just devours people. When we go out and we murder our own, whether it be through violence and through crime or through the atrocities of abortion, that's living like an animal. The animal kingdom eat their own. We should not be people that do that made in the image of God, and yet because we rebel against all the plans that God has set up for us, we end up living like animals. But listen, there's another piece of good news. It's the second lesson that we learn from Daniel 4, and that is that God graciously warns us to repent of our sin. We don't have to keep living like animals. Repent of pride, repent of sin. Remember again that God is God and we're not. Now, I want to pause for a moment and just be honest. Living for Jesus is hard. It would be much easier to just go with the flow and do what everybody else in the world is doing. Living according to this book is hard. You don't have to answer this out loud, just between you and the Lord, but have you picked up God's word and read it lately? I mean, outside of a Sunday morning. Here's the the next question. Have you picked it up and read it and saw something that you really didn't like? If you don't know about our great president, Thomas Jefferson, we actually have what's called the Thomas Jefferson Bible. The Thomas Jefferson Bible is about a third less than what you actually hold in your hands today because what Thomas Jefferson did was he literally took scissors and he cut out all of the things that he didn't like in Scripture. Literally, that's what he did. Now, if we're being honest with each other, there's probably times where we've picked up this book and we've thought to ourselves, I'd like to just cut that part out. Bless my enemy? Forget you, I'd rather blast my enemy. No thanks. I'm supposed to treat people with grace? I'm supposed to love on people when they're unlovely? Give them grace when they're ungracious? Be merciful when they're not showing mercy? And the answer to all of those is yes. In fact, I have to take a look at what Jesus did for me. Remember, I I alluded to the book of Romans. Romans 1, 2, and 3 lays out how messed up we are in our sin. Then we get to Romans chapters 4 and 5, which talks about our salvation. And Romans chapter 5, verse 8 is a verse that you're probably very familiar with. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Notice what it doesn't say. Christ waited for you to go get your life cleaned up and get your act together. Then he died for you. No, quite the opposite. He died for us while we were yet sinners. And that alone should eliminate a ton of our pride because there's nothing that I can do to get God to love me. I don't don't mean this to sound harsh, but every person that is involved in a false religion and leaders of false religions are living in pride, thinking that they actually have something to offer God Almighty. When we have nothing to offer, It's not a two-way street. It's not God saying, I'll meet you halfway. We can't meet God halfway. God has to come all the way to us, which is exactly why Jesus came, 
Which is why Jesus left from heaven, because we can't ascend our way to heaven. And man, am I glad that he came. But now that leaves me to live in one of two ways when it comes to living for the Lord. Because we're taking a look at Nebuchadnezzar, who's living in the height of pride and sin, versus, say, Daniel and his three buddies, who are living in humility and worshiping the Lord. The question comes down to, how do I live out my faith in Christ in such a way that I'm not doing it out of guilt? I mentioned that many of our friends that are involved in false religions or in cults are, one, living in pride, but number two, they're living in constant guilt, constantly thinking, I've got to do one more thing in order for God to love me or for God to favor me. Please always keep this in mind. I don't think that we can say this too much at New Covenant Church. We go out and we do good works and we obey God's word and we obey God's commandments, not so that we will be loved or we will be favored, but because we are loved and we are favored. I don't have anything to offer him. And I hope that comes across clearly when we do our Wednesday night equip course. Right now on Wednesday nights in our equip course, we're going through different religions of the world. We just finished taking a look at the beliefs of our Mormon friends and neighbors and family members. And then we're going to move on to Jehovah's Witnesses. We're going to take a look at Roman Catholicism. But the one thing that we see in every religion, not just those three, is that every religion is steeped in guilt and in thinking they've got to do something to make God love them. And I just want to grab people and make them aware of the fact, did you know that God is your heavenly father who created you, loves you so much that he knew that even when you couldn't get your act together and I couldn't get my act together, he came to me instead in the person of Jesus. That's great news and that's something to celebrate this morning. Nebuchadnezzar can't get his act together. He can't do it on his own. So God graciously warns him and reveals to him who he is. He warns him to repent of his sin and his pride. It's a long time, hundreds of years after Nebuchadnezzar, but the half-brother of Jesus, James, in James chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, writes this, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you interesting word that is used there when it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. The word oppose in the original Greek language is talking of one army coming up against another and overpowering it. Nebuchadnezzar went to war with God when he said, I'm God, I'm in charge. Okay, I don't mean to ruin it for all of us, but anytime you go to war with God, you lose. You can't win. So Nebuchadnezzar is going to have to find out the hard way that he can't win. So what I like to do is I want to transition to the practical outworking of walking with God, recognizing that my pride and sin is only going to ruin me. So there's two that we're going to take a look at this week, and as I mentioned, two that we'll take a look at next week when it comes to timeless principles for the 21st century. Remember, this was written from the, the time period of about 605 B.C. to about 530 B.C. So we're talking 2,600 years later and probably wondering, does God's word have any relevance 2,600 years later? I mean, if I'm going to read some story about some guy by the name of Daniel, which, by the way, it's not a story, it's a real-life historical event, but if I'm going to read these historical events about this guy named Daniel and these three young men by the name of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what in the world could it possibly have to say to me today? Because a lot has changed in 2,600 years. Well, yes and no. Technology has changed. 
The fact that we have cars has changed. Did you know that mankind's need for a savior, our issues with sin, the issues that we have in our families, the issues that we have with pornographic uh, images, those, all those things are not new. In fact, Solomon made as clear as can be, there's nothing new under the sun, especially when it comes to sin. So what is the principle that's not new? We're just now getting to hear about and learn about it 2,600 years later. Well, one of them is simply this. God's righteousness is going to cause him to intervene when we believe we don't need him anymore. God is righteous, and because he is righteous, he's going to judge our sin. He's going to deal with it. So when we think that we don't need God or that we can live without him, he might reach down and begin to shake our tree. What are we going to do with that? This intervention oftentimes comes in publicly humiliating ways, but sometimes maybe not. Let me go through a few things that God might be using to shake your tree. Any health problems? I've been battling some of those lately. What about your marriage? Any difficulties in your marriage? What about family problems? Have you had any financial hardships? Career frustrations? What about legal problems? Relational problems, maybe with friends or extended family? Have you just seen your dreams maybe turn to dust lately when it comes to hopes that you had had for maybe retirement or something else? Now, I want to be really careful on this point and make something abundantly clear. Your trials and your tribulations, the struggles that you may be having, don't always mean that it's because you're living in sin and God's trying to get your attention. It might be the opposite. It might be that you are just walking with Jesus and so the enemy is attacking you. But again, we're real people, so let's be honest with each other. How many of y'all have ever gone through a hard thing? Whatever, financial hardship, relational hardship, and you thought to yourself, am I being disciplined by the Lord for some sin or is the enemy attacking me? Be honest. How many of you ever asked that question before? And how many of you have not known the answer? Well, I'm going to be of no help to you this morning. Here's why. Because you may be asking, give me the answer. How do I know when it's God disciplining me or when it's the enemy attacking me? And the answer is you don't always know. So here's what we do. Anytime, and this is a great lesson that I learned from one of my seminary professors like 20 years ago. He said, anytime you go through a hardship, anytime you go through a trial or a tribulation, don't let that be wasted. God always wants to teach you something from it. And the way that you know whether or not it's God course correcting you like Nebuchadnezzar and getting you on a path where you're seeking him or he is making himself real to you or whether or not it's the enemy attacking you because you're walking with Jesus, it's actually this simple, but we don't do it very often because we don't like to. Examine and evaluate your life. Is my thought life one that's bringing honor and glory to the Lord Jesus? If so, I'm probably being attacked by the enemy. But if I'm diving headlong into pornography, I'm filling my mind with violent images, I'm greedy, I'm boastful, then it's probably God trying to course correct me. So hopefully this is helpful. While I don't always know what the answer is, because I've had people ask me before, hey, pastor, I'm going through this really hard time. Is this God course correcting me, or is this the devil attacking me? Well, if you really want the answer to that, we're going to have to sit down and start examining your life. Okay, never mind, don't really want to know. And sometimes people will just walk away. But that's where it gets difficult. We actually have to sit down and examine 
What is happening here? Now, with all of that being said, I want to make you aware of this as well. While God's judgment is painful because he's cutting away the sin that pulls us away from him, and this is it for your blanks this morning, while God's judgment is painful because he's cutting away the sin that pulls us away from him, know that when he is doing that cutting, it's always for our good and for his glory. Think about getting a diagnosis from the doctor that you don't like, and it's cancer. And the doctor says, I'm going to have to cut that out. To which you respond, no, thank you. I don't want anybody cutting on me. But you don't understand, unless I cut that out, it will spread and you will die. I think that analogy is incredibly appropriate because sin always brings about death. Now again, let me reiterate what I mean by that. When we talk about death, death always means separation. Now while I may be saved, and my soul can never be separated from God Almighty once I am saved. My, my salvation is secure because of Jesus. It's not based off what I do or don't do. It's based off what Jesus has done. And if that's what I put my faith and trust in, then I am secure. But there can still be a separation in my relationship with my Heavenly Father. My girls, McKenna and Kaylin, know that I love them no matter what they do. No matter what happens, they will always be a DeShop girl. Uh, they will always be daddy's girl. It doesn't matter what happens. But they also know that when they sin against dad, it brings about some consequences and it hurts our relationship and our trust level can't remain the same. However, they still know that they're a DeShop kid and that they're loved by their dad no matter what happens. Do you know that once you have trusted Christ and you are a child of God, no matter what you do, you're his? Jesus made this as clear as can be in the book of John that no one can snatch them out of his hand. No one can snatch them out of his father's hand. He and the father are one. Did you know that you are in the safest and securest place you could ever be? However, did you know that some of us still act like idiots? I said that out loud, yes. We do. We act like idiots sometimes. And that separates us in our relationship. Now, it never separates us from being his. I'm still, my, my identity is still a child of God. However, I can hurt my relationship with him. Neb, I don't think Neb is a child of God yet. He hasn't actually turned his life over to the creator of the universe. So God is shaking his tree. You may be in this room and you're, there's only two types of people on the planet. Did you know that? I, I don't know if we're, we're recognizing this or not. Did you know, by the way, that there's no such thing as races? We talk about racism. Did you know there's no such thing as races? Did you know that black people and white people and brown people and every shade in between are really just different shades of one race? And that one race is in a ton of trouble apart from Jesus. But that very same race was the race that God entered into as the person of Jesus and died for all of those that are a part of that race. And now every person on the planet has the opportunity to be in heaven with the Lord, although most will reject it. So you are one of two types of people. We're all part of the human race, but within that human race, there's two people groups. There's those that have trusted Christ and will be in heaven forever because of him. And there are those that have rejected Christ and will be in hell eternally separated from him. If you're in the group that has rejected Christ, today is a great day to have a birthday and become a part of the family. 
If you are one who has already trusted Christ, but maybe God's shaking your tree a little bit, today is a great day to respond to the shaking. In fact, I want to finish this morning with a simple question. Well, let me give you a piece of encouragement and then a simple question. Know that even in the hardest stuff in life, God hasn't given up on you. If you're still breathing, the stump is still in the ground. Here's the question that I have for you. If God starts shaking your tree, how will you respond today? Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we're so thankful that you love us so much that even when we mess up, Lord, the stump remains. And Lord, if we're still breathing, you have given us opportunity to trust you. And so I pray for any that may be sitting in this room this morning. I pray for my friends that have yet to trust you. And Lord, ask that you would make yourself totally real to them this morning. I'm going to ask, please just keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed before the Lord. If you already know the Lord Jesus, would you just be praying for those that don't? Maybe somebody sitting in this room. Uh, maybe it's even people that are watching online. I want you to just stop. Just again, keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed before the Lord. And just picture the goodness of God. Genesis chapters 1 and 2 speak of how God spoke the entire universe into existence. And then picture him forming and fashioning man from the ground. And then fashioning woman from Adam's rib. From there, picture Adam and Eve sinning against God Almighty. And because of that, all of the death, disease, decay, and destruction that has entered into the world is because of sin. But then I want you to picture that God loves us so much that he enters into the world in a feeding trough, in a manger, as Jesus, he lives a perfect sinless life. He dies the perfect sinless but brutal death on the cross and then rises again from the dead three days later to which he later promises, don't worry, I'm coming back for you. That's what we're waiting for today. So again, if you're sitting here this morning and you've yet to trust Jesus, there is no sinner's prayer that we find in the Bible there's nothing magical about a prayer that we might give at church, but if you are wanting to give your life wholly and completely to Jesus to say that he is Lord, that he is Savior, it's really this simple. You can just pray it quietly between you and the Lord. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you created me, and I ask that you would forgive me for rebelling against you. In fact, Lord Jesus, I thank you that you do forgive me and that you showed it through your death on the cross. Lord Jesus, I believe that your death paid all of the penalty of my sin, past, present, and future, and that you proved it by rising again on the third day. And I ask you now to be my Lord and to be my Savior. It's in the mighty name of Jesus that we all pray together. Amen. Gang, if that was you, if you were one of those that said, you know, I want to I trust Jesus, Find me, find one of our elders, find one of our deacons, stop by the welcome desk on the way out especially, let them know about that commitment that you made. Um, in your bulletin, there is a little tear-off sheet as well. Whether you are trusting Christ or you just want prayer for something or maybe you want to get counsel or you want to know more about small groups, you can do all of that on um, that little connect card that's in your bulletin, and then you can just throw that in the wooden offering boxes on the way out. One last thing, Steve mentioned it, but we're going to be having this little conference or big conference that we call Reclaim. Registration is in, uh, well, we're going to be starting the whole conference in 13 days. 
So we're almost there. It's a Saturday. It's gonna, the conference itself will be from 10 to 4, registration and getting signed in starting at 9 a.m. We can't wait. Um, I'm going to open everything up that morning. I'm going to be speaking to why belief in a literal six days of creation um, and why God being the one that formed and fashioned us radically affects the way we view not only ourselves, but everybody else in the world. And then I'm going to get out of the way so that the expert in the field, a guy by the name of Brian Osborne from Answers in Genesis, if you've never heard of Answers in Genesis, you need to get familiar with Answers in Genesis. It will help our kids when they're being taught that they're nothing more than a cosmic accident. Um, the guy named Ken Ham debated Bill Nye, the science guy, who is a diehard atheist. If you ever get a chance to watch that debate on YouTube, just punch in Ken, Ken Ham and Bill Nye. Um, Ken Ham is also the guy, his crew built the ark in Kentucky that about 50 of us went to this summer, and man, what a blessing that was. So he will speak, we'll have lunch, uh, my buddy Mike Zalecki, the pastor at Redemption Hill, will open things up after lunch. And then a guy by the name of John Harris, who's got a podcast called Conversations That Matter and has written numerous books, will speak to why building a biblical foundation on Genesis, our issues with sin and our need for a savior, speak to a lot of the stuff that has crept into the church when it comes to the social uh, justice gospel movement and the woke theology type stuff that has crept into the church. All that will be get, get uh, spoken about be praying hard. We have a 550-person limit, so get signed up. Tell the community about it. We are praying that people that don't yet know Jesus and never go to church will come. Okay, in case you didn't notice, I'm excited about it. I can't wait. With that said, let's be as equally excited about going out today, right now, and giving Albuquerque Jesus. Amen? Have a good weekend. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. Have a great week.